So uh, great to have you guys with us. Uh, I'm going to need to sit down. I stood up all last service, and I'm going to need to sit down. Uh, I want to thank you guys for, for wearing the masks. When, when this all happened, I, I really asked the Lord, you know, God, I really need to have a passage of Scripture um, to guide me in this, because I don't want to just say it. We're going to do what I want to do because of my preference. And the Lord really laid on my heart. Jesus said that if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And so that means for me that I wear a mask. And so we ask everybody to wear a mask. And um, we do that because it keeps the community safe. And you guys have been so great. And I really appreciate it because I have friends that are pastors and they've, they've had protests and all kinds of stuff happen in their churches. And uh, we haven't had any of that. And I, I'm so thankful for that. Um, as we move into this next phase, okay, and what's going to happen uh, what we understand is every week they're going to evaluate the counties by the count of COVID cases and hospitalizations. And so it'll decide where you stay. So Snohomish County is where we are, and we'll, we'll find out what exactly how that's going to work for us week in and week out. Um, what we're doing is we're still going to be wearing the mask until the mask thing is removed. So uh, we do that, and uh, I want to welcome everybody that's uh, with us online. Uh, if, when you decide to come back to church, um, or you decide to come to church for the first time, you will find we wear masks. I'm not in a mask because I'm in this enclosure. So uh, we want to keep everybody safe. And after having COVID, you guys, you don't want it. It's not fun. And uh, if, if you had a, you know, a loved one or a friend or a neighbor who you know, has an a, a immune system that is, you know, compromise, it would be really catastrophic for them. And so it, it is a real thing. And so we're doing that. And uh, as we move into the next phases, we're now going to be able to be up to 50% capacity in our facility, which is great news. Um, but we still have to have social distancing. So you notice the chairs are six feet, the rows are six feet apart, we'll be able to add one more row in the front here. But that's about all the more seating that we'll get. Um, and then the side to side, depending on the service, it could be really full in here or it could not be very full in here. And what we have done is said, you guys get to decide where you sit side to side. That's, I mean, because like some of you are like, hey, listen, I'm going to sit with my granddaughter. That's, of course, you don't live with your granddaughter, but you want to sit with your granddaughter because you hang out with your granddaughter anyway. Um, or I'm going to sit next to my friends because we're having, we, we hang out together all the time. And that's totally fine. That's up to you. If you want, though, to keep space between you and your neighbors, uh, as we move to this next phase, what I want to say to you is just put your something there on the chair. It'll keep the buffer, and everybody will respect it, um, and it's totally fine. It really will. And we're going to have our ushers also helping you guys um, so that we, we we're able to make everybody feel safe. And as we go to Easter... I can think of two things that would be a bummer and then a really bummer, 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 right? A bummer would be you show up and you have to be in the lobby because we didn't have enough space. A really big bummer, bummer, bummer would be you show up and we have to turn you away because there's no space, period, in the building. And you could imagine that, like, you know, here you are. We've talked about having, you know, we're praying for our five friends. You know, how many of you have five friends who don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus? We've been talking about what that would mean to be a church that could actually serve all those people. I mean, that's, that's thousands of people when you do, you know, times five of our regular attendance. And so if we're going to be a church that can serve them, imagine that you've been praying and you've been caring and, and you've invited them to come to church and it's Easter Sunday and they're, they're finally coming and there's nowhere for them to sit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you'd be like going, I can't believe this. 
So what we, we came up with an idea that if you would reserve your spot, Brad talked about it, and the way you do it is you go to the phone number and you text it. Okay, so if you already know where you're going to be, uh, and I did it, if I can do it, you can do it, text the phone number, and then it'll, it'll, as soon as you do it and you put uh, Easter, it's going to send you then, here's where you reserve your spot. And reserve your spot, and then if you invite friends... You take this True North card that's on your chair. This is the series that we're going to be doing for Easter. And we do this on purpose um, for Easter. We always do a series that's going to go with the Sunday. So what does the resurrection do? It gives us that True North compass to navigate life. All the hard things we navigate in life, Jesus, the resurrection, gives us the direction to navigate, you know, whether it be a pandemic or racial issues or you know, political issues, our family issues, our stress, our fear, whatever it might be, we can navigate it because of the resurrection. We have a true north, a compass to go by. And so if you invite your friends, they're going to get a great service on that Sunday in two weeks and invited back to be able to hear more. Um, When you invite them and they say, I'm coming, say, would you like to reserve your spot or would you like me to reserve it for you? And it would be a really nice thing if you reserved it for them because some people don't like to do the technical thing. Um, So do that so that we're able to really plan for Easter. And we're having five services because it's going to take at least five to have the amount of numbers that we'll have on Easter Sunday. So, And if we uh, fill up the five on Sunday, we will move and have some on Thursdays. Or or I think we went to Saturday. We'll go to Saturday first, then Thursday. I will preach as many as I need to preach. Okay, you guys can wear me out. I dare you. So uh, let's, let's get it and do it. Uh, this series that we're in right now is all about serving masses amount of people. Now, we don't want to serve masses amount of people so we can be a big church. We already are a big church. Okay, the average church size in America is 100. We're a lot bigger than that. We're not trying to be a big church, but there's 261,000 people within a 20-minute drive of this church. And we're told that less than 6% of our population goes to church anywhere. So that's a big number of people who don't go to church, and there are not enough churches in our area to serve all the people. There, there, there aren't. People will go, well, there's all kinds, there's lots of churches here. Actually, there's not enough churches to serve the people. And so we've asked God, what kind of a burden do you want us to carry? What, what do you want us to do? And we will do our part, and we will pray for other churches, and even the planting of more churches. This week, we're actually playing for Crossroads Church, and the pastor's Russ Nuss. He and I went to high school together, so uh, we played football together. He's a great guy. love Russ. And so we're praying for Crossroads, but we do that every week. We pray for a church, and we want to see more and more churches, while at the same time, we want to do our part. And so when we said, well, how about five? What if, what if your five and my five and their five could come? Right now, we're at 15. Imagine 15 new families show up next week. How are we going to serve them in youth ministry? Because they're going to have some middle school kids to be a part of that. How are we going to serve them in children's ministry, in the nursery? How about in the parking lot or at the coffee bar? All this. How are we going to do it? It's many hands make light work. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22 says, Together, that's all of us, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Look at verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And I believe this with all my heart. None of you are here by accident. 
None of you that are a part of online right now are online by accident. That God has joined all of us together, carefully brought us together, and that each of us has a part. If you go to Ephesians 2, chapter or verse 10, it says that you're God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared long before you were ever born, in advance for you to do. And so it really, church is not a spectator sport where you come and you watch. Church is when you become a part of the church, you are the church, and now you help others come to know Jesus. And when the church will do that, when we will serve, more people will come to Christ. We will actually be able to reach it together that the people you love the most will come to know Jesus. And I believe really with all my heart that if I'll serve when your people come, and you serve when my people come, and we both serve when their people come, we're going to be able to reach this community for Jesus. And that's important. Today, I want to add into this local reach that we're trying to do, local mission, I want to talk about global. And we want to be a local church with a global impact. That's why you see that sign out there. Um, our missionaries' pictures that we support right now, uh, they're going to go across that, that wood banner out there. We're a local church with a global impact. And we have three strategic partners that we do even more with. And today the message tagline that goes with this local church of global impact is how can I help? And I got this idea of how can I help from uh, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a really interesting guy. He is uh, the, the cup bearer for King Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes, he ruled over the Persian Empire from 465 to 424 BC. Now, Nehemiah's job as a cupbearer, you go, well, cupbearers, there's the one that, that tastes the, the king's royal beverage before the, the king drinks it, so it makes sure there's no poison. But actually, the cupbearer is even more than that. He's the chief financial officer for the king, and he actually carries the signet ring of the king. Like, this is one of the most important jobs in the kingdom, and Nehemiah has it. Now, Nehemiah is a Jew, and the reason while he's serving at the king's pleasure is because, remember back in 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel, which is why they're under their hand. And they completely sacked Jerusalem. The walls were torn down. The people were made into slaves. And now it's 150 years later. And we really don't know if Nehemiah had ever even been to Jerusalem or not. Right? Because it's not been in his lifetime that this happened. He's just there and he's serving at the king's pleasure. And he's got a great job. But he, he hears about his countrymen in, in Nehemiah chapter 1. And he goes before the king, and you're not supposed to go before the king with anything except for joy. You do not bum the king out. That's a good way to lose your life, and especially lose your job. And so all of that would be a bad thing. In Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 2, look what he says. It says this, Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, I love this, look at this. Well, how can I help you? There, is, there are no sweeter words than when you have a burden on your heart when somebody says, well, how can I help you? I mean, that's just, that's just good stuff. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, 
If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So he's got a vision. We have this vision, right? There's a church with a vision. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. He also has a plan. Right? It's not enough just to have a burden. It's not enough to just have a vision. you got to have a plan. And so he even knows how long he's going to be gone. <clears throat> Verse 7, I also said to the king, if it please the king, here's part of his plan, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it... <clears throat> to make beams for the gates of the temple of fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. So this king wasn't just asking, he was willing right? Nehemiah didn't just have a burden and he didn't just have a dream. He actually had a plan and God put him in the place where like this could actually be provided for. This could actually happen. But Nehemiah first had to resolve to say, I am not going to keep up with the status quo. That what's happening in Jerusalem is unacceptable and nothing great ever happens until people care. And it's not just a caring like, oh, well, I hope somebody else does something. It's a caring of, no, I will do something. And I may not be able to do all of it, and I may not even have the resources to do it, but I am going to by faith do something. I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but our youth pastor and his wife just got married one month ago. Yeah, and then their honeymoon was to drive out here. Hey, thank you. Give Bill, Billy the kid. He is the best. Thank you, Bill. Hmm. And, and they moved across the country to be our youth pastors. Like, I mean, it's just amazing to me. And, and they're just the amazing people. But that took faith. And, and they don't have everything figured out. And they don't have all the resources that they need and all the kind of stuff. And, but here's the deal. God's put a vision in their heart. And I believe with all my heart, so many of you are going to get behind them. That literally, God's going to take care of all of it. And he believes that too. Because that's what you see in Scripture. Nehemiah had that kind of faith. And really, the only way that your five are going to get reached, and my five, and their five, are if we say, you know what? I am not going to just attend. I'm going to be this church. In fact, some of you, God might even put on your heart to be a life group leader. And today you can go out and you can meet Ryan and Elizabeth out in the lobby and you could sign up and they will train you so you can be a life group leader. There's so many different ways you could serve and there's so many different things you could do to be one of those people that says, how can I help? See, a missionary is somebody who feels the pain of another and is willing to do something about it. And missionaries are here. When I hear somebody say, hey, we need to be doing missions right here, I say, you are right on. Absolutely, right? 
And then somebody else will go, yeah, but you know, there's other countries, like, they have way less than we have. They don't have the education that we have, the knowledge we have. A lot of people don't even know how to read around the world. I mean, like, billions of people don't know how to read. I'm like, we need to go there. And I say, right on, you are right. So it's not an either or, it's a both end. A missionary feels the burden of another person or people group, and they're willing to go and do something about it. If you could just imagine... If your child didn't know Jesus, what you would do so they would know them, so they would know Jesus, right? I mean, now put on it that your child is sick and has a high possibility of dying very soon. Your sense of urgency would go through the roof, wouldn't it? Because they're your kid. You would do anything. When God puts it on a missionary's heart to go and do something, that's, that is a, a, an anointing and a blessing to, to move across the country and come here to Seattle, Washington, you know, to be youth pastors is a burden God put on their heart. And he's put this on all of our heart, and there's missionaries all around the world and in the United States that God puts on our Nehemiah was a missionary. He's like, I got to do something. And the king says, how can I help? There are no sweeter words. I can't tell you. When one of you goes, sign me up, I, I think every, we have an actual volunteer meeting at 8 o'clock here because services start at 8.30 and we pray together <clears throat> in the morning. And I thank them every time because this church would be nowhere without our volunteers. Literally, it would be nowhere. Like there's just no way we could do it. And, and it's amazing that we have all these people who say, how can I help? I see the burden. I see the heart. I see the value. I see the vision. I hear a plan, and I'm a part of the plan, and I want to be a help. And that's what the king says to Nehemiah. Now, let's go back to your kid, because I think it's so important we get this burden. Imagine that your child doesn't know Jesus, but... God has gifted, uniquely gifted, a person in another country. And this person in this other country has such a unique personality and such a unique gift mix and such an um, intrigue about them that really that's going to be the person that reaches your child. That just for whatever reason, God's ordained this. That's what Ephesians 2 says, even long before we were us, God's ordained it, that, that this person could be the one, maybe the only one, who's going to reach your kid. And this person is such a, a, a wonderful person, amazing person, that they go to university just like I did so I could become a pastor and study scripture, and learn the Bible, and learn how to lead. And this person's gone to university. They have a bachelor's degree in missiology and Bible. And they've, they've learned the Bible so proficiently that they're going to be able to answer the questions that your kid's always been asking. And you're like going, man, I've tried to answer those questions, but it doesn't seem to get through. But this person really has a unique thing about them. And they have the proficiency of scripture. And then they've gone a year above that, and they've learned the English language and they can speak English and they're about to come here and they're the one that's going to make the difference in your kid's life and the only thing they need it's a little bit of money they're not going to be rich they're they're actually they're just they're just trying to get just trying to make it happen but all they need 
is a little bit of money. And this person is not only going to reach your child, this person is going to reach hundreds, if not thousands of Americans for Jesus. With less than 6% of our population going to church anywhere, do you know that we are considered an unreached people group in missions? Isn't that sad? And here we are attending church every week. And our neighbors are unreached. I hope that bothers you. Because it's like Popeye. Remember Popeye? I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. It's time to eat some spinach, guys, and let's go to work. Let's whoop old Brutus and get this thing done. That's what it takes. Do you know that there have been, like, literally thousands of people who have given what they had? Even poor people who have given what they had so that you and I could be reached? The very first recorded of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul says this about people who helped him. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. These guys were poor. It welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. See, where God guides, he provides. If God's called you to do something, he is gonna provide and he is gonna make it happen. And he does it by his people, and it doesn't have to be rich people. In the 1800s, a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt, six years old, she lived near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia. The Sunday school was very crowded, and Russell H. Conwell, the minister, told her that one day we will have buildings big enough to allow everyone to attend. She said, Oh, I hope you will. It's so crowded and I'm afraid to go all alone. He replied, when we get the money, we will construct a church large enough to get all the children in. Two years later, in 1886, at eight years old, Hattie May died. After the funeral, Hattie's mother gave the minister a little bag they had found under their daughter's pillow containing 57 cents in change that she had saved up. Alongside it was a note in her handwriting to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. The minister changed all the money into pennies and offered each one for sale. He received $250 and 54 of the cents were given back. The 250 was itself changed into pennies and sold by the newly formed Wyatt Might. I love that. Might Society. In this way, her 57 cents kept on multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk entitled The History of the 57 Cents, the minister explained the results of her 57-cent donation. A church, now remember, this is in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The church with a membership of over 5,600 people a hospital where tens of thousands of people had been treated, 80,000 young people going through university, 2,000 people going out to preach the gospel in missions. All this happened 
because Hattie Mae Wyatt invested her 57 cents. You guys, the theme of multiplication is all throughout the Bible. And it doesn't have to be like, I mean, I, I, I think the same thing. Oh, God, if I could just win the lottery, I'll start a missions foundation, right? It'll just be this, this ongoing foundation that funds missions. If I could just win the lottery, when God's like going, well, you don't have the lottery, but what you have, I've already given you, so what will you do with it? What will you do with what you have? How can I help? I don't know if you know this or not, but America, we are the richest nation in the world. There are roughly 350 million Americans. 350 million, that's all there is in this country. Over a billion people in the world are starving to death. Now, when I say they're starving to death, I don't mean like when my kids from the backseat say, Dad, I'm starving, we must stop for some food. I mean they're dying. A billion. A billion. And in America... Where just we have so, if you make $25,000 US dollars a year as a single person, $25,000, you're richer than 93.4% of the world. Now, here in Shangri La, if that's all you make is $25,000 a year, you'll get food stamps, free health care, low income housing, college grants, and an earned income credit on your taxes, and a bunch of other benefits if you just reach out and apply for them. But for 93.4% of the world, you're balling it. You're rich. In fact, this is really interesting. If, you only, if the only income you had this year was the stimulus money, including the 1400 that just went out, that would be $3,200 per person. Okay? If that's all the income you had this year, you are still richer than 46.5% of the world. Almost half the world, you're richer than them just by the money the government gave away. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that per capita, the percentage that is given, the lowest percentage is given by the richest counties in America? You see, here's the deal. People with less give more. It's like when Jesus in Mark 12, he said this, verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. I just want you to know that it doesn't take a lot to make a big difference. And Jesus sees it all. Some of you, you started even tithing this last year, and you're like, man, this is not easy for us to do. This is really hard for us to do. But by faith, you continue to do it. And God is taking care of you, and God is, is helping you, and God is blessing. I just want you to know, He sees it all. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart. How can I help? See, we can actually be the answer to someone's prayer. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but like I have, like where you're driving down the road and you, you see like this, you know, there's a lady out there and she's trying to like change her tire and there's a bunch of kids in the back of the car and I'm like, oh God, please help that lady. And God goes like, I got a great answer to help that lady. It's you. Yeah. 
you're ready. You even, I often have tools in my car. Like she's like, you can stop and help. Or, or you say, oh, God, help this person I know is really struggling. And God goes, I got a great answer. See, sometimes I'm even the prayer, I'm the answer to the prayer that I pray. And sometimes I'm the answer to the prayer that you pray. And sometimes God puts it all together. And when all of us come together and God's doing something so amazing, it's like a miracle. And you witness something that could only happen because God made it happen. How can I help? In fact, I love that the Assemblies of God, we are Assembly of God Church. I became an Assembly of God pastor, not because of the doctrine. I love the doctrine, but that's not why I became one. It's not because we have a certain look or a certain feel or whatever. I became an Assembly of God pastor because the Assemblies of God came together to do missions. In fact, it was the poorest churches that came together and they said, you know what? We can't send out one missionary by ourselves. We can't even do one. But together, we could. And so just over 100 years ago, they formed the Assemblies of God with this mission. We're going to become the largest mission-sending organization in the world, of which we had been for many, many years. Now we're just one of the largest ones, but we're not the largest anymore. Why? Not because we're wealthy, but because we're generous. I want to close with this. How can we help? How can we help? See, when we pray together, and you guys, we need to pray. God can do miracles in prayer. When we serve together, when we give together, when we love together, and when we unify together, miracles can happen. And I want to ask you that you would go, okay, God, I know that this isn't going to just happen. Like, it's going to take my participation. And it's going to take my love, my time, my effort, and yeah, some of my money. I want you to know, we have missionaries who cannot go right now. They've gone to college. They have their degrees. They've studied the language. They're ready to go. And they can't go because they don't have the money. I have missionaries contact me on a regular basis, at least two or three a month. We have missionaries who have been on the field where they've been already for 10 years, 12 years, 15, 16, 20 years, and they can't go back because they've come home to raise more funds, but yet they're not able to go. We have missionaries who are on the mission field. In 2020, even our church, we decided we're not going to do missions. We're not going to raise money for missions, but we just said, okay, God, by faith, we are not gonna, we're not gonna shrink our missionary support. We support 40 different missionaries. It's about $3,430 a month. And we've been funding it out of our general fund to the tune of about $2,000 a month. We just decided we're not gonna drop these guys. And God has blessed the church and it's been fine and we're funding it, but it's time. It's time that we raise the missions budget It's time. It's time that we start asking God, God, what would you have me give? On your seat, there's a a pamphlet that this talks about a faith promise, what it is. When Tina and I do our missions giving, what we do is we say, okay, God, how much do you want us to give? Do you want to talk about scary? Ask God that one. We'll actually pray. And whenever we do it, whenever we say, okay, you pray on your own, I'll pray on my own, and we come together. We've even done the slide, the paper across the table, and it's the same number. Because God's got a plan. 
He's got a plan. Would you prayerfully consider what you would give above and beyond your tithe to missions? Ask God. So think about it there. And then this is a, a faith promise card. We don't need the part with your name on it. Okay? That's kind of, it, it kind of says that's what you do. But we'll even, I'll, if you want to give that, that's great. But I don't care if your name's on it. I would like to know how much it is though. And no one's going to hunt you down. Hey, you said you would give this. Nope. No one's even going to know it's you. But if you will give us the number, we can make a budget. And here's what I, wouldn't, wouldn't this be the coolest thing ever? Wouldn't it be amazing if instead of the missionaries contacting me, I'm contacting them. And I can say, hey, I hear you're going to uh, Nicaragua. How can we help? How can we help? We want to help you. Our church has welled up with great generosity and they have decided to give and we want to make sure you're funded. Hey, I know that, I know that you, your, your mission support has gone way down and you guys are operating on a, on a shoestring budget. What do you need the most right now? How can we help you? I want you to know that we, we've done above and beyond the faith pledges. We were able to give, an, what was it we gave Nicaragua? Was it five? Five to Nicaragua, five to Open Arms, so that's 10, um, and then five somewhere else. Do you remember what it was? Oh, 500 to another, that's right. So it was, it was 10,500 extra because this year was a great year. See, what we're not trying, we're not trying to like go, hey, let's just have a whole bunch more money. No, let's use it to reach the world for Jesus. And I want you to know that your tithe is your tithe. You give it to the storehouse and an offering is an offering where you direct it. The tithe, Leviticus 27, verse 30, says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. When you give your tithe, it's holy to the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy 12, it explains tithes and offerings. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way the pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose from among all the tribes, the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings for the first, of the firstborn animals of your hearts and flocks. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God, and you will rejoice in all you've accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. And God just promised the Israelites, you trust me, and I've got you. And he says, your tithe is first, your offerings are next. And I want you to know that if you're brand new to Life Church 360, I'm so glad that you're here. I didn't do this message to get you to start giving to the church, okay? Really, this service is actually a gift to you. We actually, that's why we give our tithes and offerings to provide a great weekend gathering for people to come and hear about Jesus. But if this is your church home, would you consider this? And in fact, as we get ready to close in prayer, if you'd like to give, uh, it's on the screen. Here's how you give. You can text to give. You can give online. You can give on the way out the door. You can even send a check in. Um, and, and you can drop these in the, in, the, in the bucket. You don't have to do it this week. In fact, I encourage you, pray about it. Ask God. Don't do it out of compulsion. Do it because you want to. And then turn it in, prayerfully really like think it out. And then we're gonna be able to do a budget. And I just wanna pray. I wanna pray that we well up with generosity and that we're able to call missionaries and say, how can we help you? We wanna help you. So Lord Jesus, we love you and we need you. 
And we pray, Father, that you would pour your spirit out on us, that we would well up, Father, and be generous with prayer, generous with serving, generous with our money, and generous, God, with you. And I pray that you would fill us, God, with your spirit and your anointing, and we would see the world reached, and you would help us do as much as we can for the world around us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.